you know, No Evil Foods has been experiencing some pretty significant logistical marketing challenge, market challenges over the past year, um, and all of those challenges have been, you know, they've been made worse by the COVID-19 pandemic and more complicated. Um, we were actually counting on a significant financial investment this week that unfortunately fell, for, fell through, and it's put the business and the company in a really, really challenging place right now. Um, and so we fought long and hard to try to get through us through this. All of us did, um, but the reality of the situation is the company has essentially, you know, run out of money, and we're now really forced to make some really big, really really difficult changes. And really, it's coming down to that in order for Noble Foods to have a future at all, we have to move uh, to a co-manufactured model. So that. It's it's devastating, but I have to announce today that we're going to be ending production operations here at the Axis and moving, you know, all production to a co-manufacturer in the near future. Great. This is a, you know, it's a decision I obviously none of us ever wanted to make, uh, and a situation we never could have imagined that we would be in. And I hope I hope you can believe that it's not a decision that we're making lightly, but it, it is really kind of coming down to whether or not there will be a Noble Foods in the future at all or not. So we, so we get fired so you can stay alive. I think that the... We put a lot of hard work you, into this. You did, absolutely. I have a question too. Why did no third didn't know about this? I showed up here on a whim. Nobody even told us. We heard out, we heard from Charlotte, they got fired. I mean, why, why, why can't there leave an email? Hey, third ship, show up. You know. I, I can understand the frustration. Don't blue window in October when you said that we had ten years of life built into this. Um, I think we gave up a lot to come here. I understand. I, 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 I think the realities of our business are that the the business model requires funding and financing to be able to go forward, and that has become increasingly challenging to secure. Um, because of the way it's I, all been run. I, look, uh, absolutely, is it my responsibility and our responsibility here? So what um, are you gonna do for us then? Hey everyone, this is John from Work Stoppage. This episode's going to be a little different than maybe what you're used to. We were going to have a short interview with some workers from No Evil slash Mo Evil slash simply Evil Foods who reached out to me on Twitter to do an interview. And we thought it would be pretty short, but it took up a whole episode, thankfully, because there was so much good ground to cover. The audio that you heard at the top of the episode was the quote-unquote No Evil Foods CEO firing all of the employees after putting them through hell during the entirety of the COVID pandemic. So there will be another episode coming up uh, with your regularly scheduled work stoppage, media analysis, and labor reporting uh, punditry. But for now, we really hope that you enjoy this very special, uh, close to an hour-long interview with these workers who have really been through a lot. So thank you, and I uh, really hope you enjoy. 
So, uh, listeners will recall that uh, on last episode, as well as way back on episode 11, we've talked a couple of times about the company No Evil Foods, um, or as many people have come to refer to them as either Mo Evil Foods or So Evil Foods or just Evil Foods, because they (laughs) have perhaps one of the least appropriate names of any business uh, I think that we've reported on on here, because for a company that cloaks itself in supposedly left-wing language and likes to promote that they have a culture of, you know, responsibility and, 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 and general, like, you know, concern for the well-being of the planet, they have, in practice, had incredibly viciously anti-labor policies towards their employees. Um, from using every underhanded tactic in the book to bust a union drive last year during the pandemic to now laying off their entire production staff after forcing them to work through COVID uh, or quit and take severance. Uh, right. Evil and foods. To pres- and to presumably replace them with contractors, right? I, right. Maybe, and, and maybe not. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, and so... Uh, the the contrast could not be more stark between the image that this company puts forth about how you know they're providing responsible uh cruelty-free alternatives to the meat industry and and trying to give people quote an ethical option for their food but that's been completely subverted by their their actions in practice where they have uh, adopted all of the worst union busting tactics that we report on all the time from, you know, the same kinds of gigantic corporations that they will claim that they are not like, like Amazon and Walmart, while at the same time hiring, you know, union busting law firms doing mandatory captive audience meetings. And now, you know, after successfully defeating a a union drive using illegal tactics, laying off their entire production staff. And today we are lucky enough to have on a couple guests, uh, former employees of Evil Foods, uh, here to tell us about their experiences with this company. Um, so if you could just uh, introduce yourselves real quick. Um, I'm Megan Sullivan. I worked at Evil Foods uh, from uh, the fall of 2019 to the summer of 2020. Um, I was heavily involved with the organizing drive there and helped put together hazard pay petitions as well. Um, I'm John. Uh, I worked at uh, No Evil from late 2019 until um, May 1st, May Day of 2020, when they uh, fired me for a supposed social distancing violation. I was heavily involved with the organizing there. Ah, of course. Yeah, you, you were you were too close to the other workers organizing them. I see. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, a concern May- that I'm Mayday. sure wasn't present God, when they were forcing damn. you to work. Oh yeah, you got fired right on Mayday too. That is such a kick in the teeth. Yeah, yeah. So we and we know that you've had some other interviews and that you've gone over some of the the wild things that the business owners and the practices uh, on the floor. But one of the things that we really wanted to and we're we're interested in asking about was really like what the working conditions are are kind of like. And, and I wanted to start specifically with because uh, we know that we've covered lots of different food processing or and other sorts of like factory work and how incredibly dangerous it is. And I was wondering to what extent uh, that's uh, relatable in this context and the, and the safety uh, 
on the ground at at the work site. So while I wouldn't say that it's it, it was nearly that it posed the danger nearly as much as like a meat manufacturing plant would, um, mm-hmm. we were still working with heavy machinery regularly. Um, and as far as my training went when I got there, you know, none of us had to be certified in operating any of these machines. Um, so you did pose a risk there. Um, there were instances, um, from what I've been told, about people who actually were injured on the job and unable to get um, workers' comp. And uh, again, I'm hearing that kind of thing first, like secondhand. But um, it, yeah, there there were definite risks posed with working this machinery. You know, there were certain days where I'd come in and for a long while, this was like after COVID started, you know, people on first shift were assembling the machines incorrectly and working them incorrectly all day. And so I'd have to go in and like put on the proper piece for it. So there were definitely risks and inconsistencies with the safety measures there. Um, I know one of the main things that I noticed at first when I first got there was, you know, we're working with corrosive chemicals to clean these dishes by hand every single night, all the cooking materials, all the machine parts, all of that. And, you know, there's holes in the gloves and different things like that. So, um, I mean, just putting aside all the union stuff, there there were definite safety risks. And as they were um, expanding and constantly updating machinery and constantly switching up processes there, it, it set everybody back to square one. It's like all of a sudden you're retraining everybody how to do this right. same process. So, um, yeah, there were definitely dangers involved working there. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, I think that that is uh, not not uncommon. Uh, we've we've covered some things before. Although the the people putting machines together wrong is definitely one that that stands out to me as as yeah. a, a giant red flag. Well, so that dovetails nicely into the next question because I know that like those kind of health and safety oversights can often be exacerbated by, like you said, like a, a lack of proper uh, training or or care or you know supervisory work to make sure that everything is running correctly and safely. And do you think part of that uh, issue stemmed from the way that they handled schedules uh, and the way that they handled time off or by being deliberately understaffed or like were there were there any uh, business practices that stood out to you as like particularly exacerbating these problems? Um, so yeah, definitely. Again, like when I first got there, um, there were, I, I didn't even have, okay. So like, I didn't even have a job interview to get the job there. Um, they just kind of knew I wanted the job. I applied for it and I knew John, he was working there before me. And so they just kind of called me and they were like, Oh, Hey, when can you start? So it's like, that should have been my first red flag that there was <laughs> right. no issue interview process right. at all to see my experience with this, which I had none. Um, but it, it was like, I, I guess, yeah. So there were constant scheduling issues. Um, again, the, the lower level managers who kind of were in charge of doing all of that, as far as I know, um, we're getting everything from the top down. So I don't necessarily even blame them for the inconsistencies there. But yeah, that we were constantly working on skeleton crews, depending on how many people were getting fired or quit at, or quit at any given time, which really cut into, um, you know, how much we were actually, how much product we were actually able to make and go through. Because if you have, you know, five people in one room mixing all the dry ingredients, but you only have two people in the next room, you know, you're going to have just creating all of this waste and all of that. Um, just little things like that. So yeah, scheduling was a major, 
major issue. And you had, sorry, you had mentioned one other thing that, that set off a bell in my mind. What was the other part of that question? It was scheduling and oh, scheduling, uh, lack of training and deliberate understaffing were the main yes, concerns. Yes. So lack of training, like I was saying before, you know, everybody who was there that did train me did their absolute best to train me. But there, like I said, there was no certification. You didn't have to actually get any kind of certification to work these giant shredders where you you cut up all the the fake chicken product. And, you know, there were days when... um, you know, I would be concerned working this machine by myself and actively told people, hey, I'm not super comfortable with this. And it was always right. like, oh, well, you know, you can do it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You know, thankfully, right. I didn't cut my fingers off. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the that was one of the biggest complaints before the union drive is just the lack of consistent training. Again, everybody right. was doing their best as far as the lower level management went. But yeah, I, I'd say yeah. Uh, lack of training or consistent training was a big problem as well. So. On the same kind of note, uh, I wanted to ask, John, you mentioned that you got uh, fired for for improper social distancing. So so with the with those sorts of policies, whether it be like, you know, the the PPE that they gave you or or the even some of the policies to help protect from, you know, covid or, or um, you know, sanitary policies. How, how how effective were they at actually protecting people and how much were they actually just used as a bludgeon against the workers? Uh, well, I'll put it to you this way. There was one day I came into work and they had spray painted little footprints on kind of like on the production floor for where people were supposed to stand. And that was that was their attempt at like providing the illusion that there was some kind of social distancing enforcement going on. But right. everybody there knew that you couldn't actually social distance consistently right. while you were, you know, working on a conveyor belt or while, like st- stack a pallet with somebody and try to be six feet apart from them. Work on, work right. on a machine with somebody and try to be like, it, it's just, it's not possible at all times. And especially with the way the production floor had been set up, um, like you'd uh, you, you'd walk into the product, like, you know, you walk through the building and then you go to the like the little gowning room where you're, you know, you put on like the beard net and the hair net and the gloves and all that stuff. And uh, before you go on the actual production floor. And um, I mean, th- that gowning room is probably the size of like, you know, a tiny closet. And, you, you know, you're in there with people. They're trying to get on the floor. They're trying to get to work. And so just. <sighs> The way that it was enforced, it felt very selective. I mean, you'd have managers going around and they'd they pass by, you know, like me. And this is what they did to me. They passed by me while I was working on a conveyor belt with somebody. And they, they point uh, the manager at the time points at me and, sh- and, and, and they're like, um, oh, yeah, you got to be six feet apart. And then that night, I'm assuming I got written up. And then the next day I walk, I walked into work and I was basically fired at the door. Um you know, and if you want to, like, we can take this back a little bit, but not even, it was just about, or maybe not even a month prior to that, they had interrogated me about this petition that we made for hazard pay. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew that I was a union supporter. And then, you know, uh, it was like maybe two weeks before I was fired, another um, organizer was fired because they said her pants were like a fraction of an inch too short. You know, like stupid right. stuff like this. That's what they were firing people for. Um, of course, the 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 exact reasons why uh, 
these companies love right-to-work states so much because you don't really have to come up with a real reason to fire someone. You can just make anything up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I saw yeah, exactly. on your, um, I saw on your your uh, Twitter account that I was uh, taking a look at today that like they repeatedly uh, just cite like incredibly minor infractions. And, uh, also you, you brought up in one of the image posts that you had on there that like, it's considered appropriate and customary to give two weeks before you leave a job, but it's a favor that is never returned by these, uh, corporations, no matter how on the surface, uh, progressive or whatever they might seem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and honest, uh, sorry, but just on that point before I forget, even, even if, you know, you stick with the company and you're entirely loyal to your company. You still get, I mean, we, we all just saw what happened. It, there, right. there was no winning path with, you know, this company or probably really most companies, but this one in particular, you know, you, you could have, like, I could have said, you know, I'm not going to support the union and um, I'm going to stick with the company. And then I could have said, no, I'm not going to bother with the hazard pay petition. I'm just going to try to, you know, push through and, you know, whatever. And then that loyalty would have got me not like it, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have gotten me anywhere. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, that really stood out to me, like when I was going back over, you know, some of the, the stories from back during like the, the union busting campaign by, by evil foods was, uh, one of the articles had a quote from, from an anti, uh, union employee who had, they had quoted as saying, my decision was based on how I was being treated and how I felt at the job as a company. And I felt like they hadn't mistreated us. They listened to us. They take our ideas into consideration and even use them. As far as I hear, what a union does is make sure we are taken care of. And I felt like we didn't need a union. We still don't. And I feel like that quote, <laughs> which, and I'm not blaming the person who said that because like the, I mean, the, the insane amounts of money that companies are willing to throw at these union busting law firms that can then just, you know, bring these huge resources to bear to, to mislead people, misinform people that is dwarfs, uh, the resources, you know, that, that union organizers right. usually have access to. So I understand how like people get into that sort of a mindset, but I feel like if you took that quote and then the headline, no evil foods lays off entire production staff after basically forcing everyone to work through the pandemic or quit that we, that should be handed out at every union drive across the country. Because I mean, obviously it's not good for folks to be put into the situation y'all have been put into, but I, this just stands out to me as just one of the starkest examples that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how nice your boss is, how familial your, your work environment may seem. It's like your, your boss's interests are always diametrically opposed to yours. And if, right. and if you're anti-union and, and if your union drive gets them some bad publicity that they don't like, and they're worried about their bottom line, they may just decide it's not in right. their interest to be in the manufacturing right. industry. Well, anymore. I, I wanted to get to the next point, which was the actual layoffs that were hap that happened. And, um, and it's part, part of, um, the details in there was charging the employees for healthcare that they were going to be stripped of. Um, and then I did also want to, um, ask about the healthcare in general, because, uh, without a union, I'm guessing they were having, uh, considerable co-pays or maybe they did the thing where they give you a hundred plans and tell you that that's the, 
that's the benefit of working for them. But uh, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of light uh, first on on what happened during the, during the layoffs, and then maybe what that healthcare existed like on the ground while they were working. So one thing, just to back up a little bit on um, what Dan was saying there. Um, it, what made it so hard to organize there was the fact that, you know, for the area, it still wasn't a living wage, but we, it was competitive pay that we received. Right. You know, right. we had health care. So we had all of these things that a lot of other like entry level minimum wage jobs didn't offer. And so management is touting this around like, you know, why do you need a union? You know, we already give you all these great things when really they're just right. doing the bare minimum. And uh, but it, that it made it a lot harder to organize in that. That way, because a lot of us in these meetings were saying, you know, well, we like our job here. We're happy with our pay. We want to keep it that way. And it ended up kind of working against us in that respect. And like you said, I don't blame I honestly don't blame a single person in there for voting against the union just because of, you know, it's come out in the last year or so what they were actually telling all of these people who were kind of sitting on the fence behind the scenes, like really, Mm. really gross stuff. And we can get into that later because I do want to get to your next question there um but uh yeah it 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 ended up working against us that they gave us the bare minimum which is a really really sad sentence that i don't think anybody should have to ever say but that that was the that's the reality of working in america but um as far as the layoffs go i do want to correct something um in if you listen to um the actual firing like the audio of the actual meeting where they laid everybody off um the the HR director, Drew Pollack, says something along the lines of, oh, regular deductions will be taken out and then tells them that their health care is done today. What most of the people who got fired there and what I interpreted that to mean was that they were going to deduct for health care that these people weren't going to receive. Um, but I did just receive word today that uh, from an employee who was fired there that uh, they didn't deduct uh, they didn't deduct out for health care on their final paycheck, which, again, bare minimum. Should, yeah, right, shouldn't have done right. that anyway. But um, no, nobody got their accrued paid time off. Some people had like 50, 60 wow. hours of accrued time off and did not get it. They just didn't receive it, which I don't even understand how that's legal. I, I just did that baffles sure me. Not. I'm sure it is. But yeah, it, I, I, I was under the impression in most states, at least, that that is illegal. <laughs> but yeah. it, I mean, we, we've seen so often that like something technically being illegal and then it actually being enforced by the state on any of these companies. Mm-hmm. There's a big gulf between those two things. Right. Yeah. It, it reminds me of, um, having worked at Starbucks, how if, if they even caught a whiff of a union, they would be like, but look, we give you this great benefits package. Look, we give you healthcare. Aren't you, yeah. shouldn't you be excited to work here and all of that stuff. And then also when you talked about the, the uh, bare minimum, like COVID, sa- not even bare minimum COVID safety measures that they were putting into place. It reminded me of Amazon where, uh, you know, they, they don't care. Like they'll just throw you to the wolves in terms of COVID until it's time to start organizing a union campaign. And then whenever the union makes a move, they're extremely worried that you might be doing something that's COVID unsafe. And you've already kind of answered this question, but um, I just wanted to ask directly, like, do you think the layoffs were particularly targeted at people who might have been unionizing and uh, like what kind of tactics did they use to suss out who might have been part of that labor organization? Oh, 100%. 100% that's who they were targeting. That That's mm-hmm. not even a question in my mind. Um, but it like 
It's so funny because uh, I don't know if you're familiar with their initial response to COVID where they gave everybody three options and 24 hours to decide what to do. Okay. Um, yeah. The, yeah the, so the, if you're immunocompromised, screw you plan was basically how I, yeah. I interpreted that. Yeah. That, I mean, that's essentially what it was because we did have people there that were immunocompromised or had children that were immunocompromised sure. with serious, serious health conditions. And they were scared because back then at that point, nobody knew, you know, how it was being transmitted. And, you know, everything was just kind of up in the air and confusing and scary. You know, we all work in these close quarters together. You know, we were worried somebody was literally going to get killed working there. And I'm sorry, your $10 plant meat is not worth dying for. I, I don't care who <laughs> you are, but um, it's, yeah. So um, with those three options, that third option that they gave uh, where you could take three weeks of pay, they made you sign an NDA absolving them of any, any wrongdoing and you weren't allowed to talk to the media. Yeah. Super sus. Um, but they, uh, they gave you that third option. And from what we've been told and what I've personally been told by people uh, who were working there at the time and kind of had more insight behind the scenes, um, they, they were doing that hoping that all of these union people would quit, which is a, a lot of what ended up happening. Um, a lot of the remaining people that had voted yes on the union ended up taking that pay because between the uh, the anti-union campaign that was really brutal on everybody, not even just the union organizers, but everybody in that building, it was super divisive and horrible, created this really hostile work environment for everybody. And uh, everybody was sick of that. And then on top of that, you know, you have to come in and risk your life to work there. A lot of people, a lot of union supporters ended up quitting. And I am completely convinced that was by design. Sure, and sure. it and then, yeah, like John was saying, like the the social distancing, like, yeah, it's a good idea in theory. It's what the CDC was recommending and all of that. But like he was saying, you can't really social distance with when you're stacking a pallet with somebody. The pallet's four by four. How are you going to stack that next to somebody? You're going to take turns and take five years to stack the pallet like social distancing was absolutely impossible to do your job effectively at that facility. So that what they either needed to do was allow more more time for all of these things to get done so you could properly social distance or they could accept that it's not always possible and not selectively enforce this policy. Um, and, you know, I, I ended up, uh, you know, monitoring after John was fired, taking a look at all these different rooms that everybody was doing him in. And I would take notes on, you know, whether people were actually social distancing. And it's not to say that these people should get in trouble because they were just doing their job. And, right. But it, it just speaks to the way that they were so selective about it. Right. And it, it was always union organizers that were targeted. And so, so I, I did want to go back uh, to, to the question that I had asked specifically about the, the health care itself. Was there a lot of was, were there um, cases where maybe people weren't paid enough to even meet their deductibles or were have to neglect their own health care because of the poorness of the policy and the cost sharing? I mean, we, we mentioned that there are deductions, which is which are entirely unnecessary. Obviously, the company has enough money to just pay for the health care. That's pretty much any of, of these companies out there. But I, I was wondering if if that was like a, a particularly egregious problem. So I I will say that um, their particular healthcare plan was more affordable than any healthcare plan I had had ever before through an employer. So in my position, having no children and two people's income to pay my rent, um, 
it, it made it easier for me to be able to afford those deductions. But yeah, absolutely. There were people, <laughs> there were people and a friend of ours there who had to go donate plasma just to pay their rent every month. And wow, you know Jesus. that that person probably wasn't meeting their deductibles. And, mm -hmm. you know, there were different tiers of plans too, like their cheapest plan, which is the one that I had was fairly affordable. They, you know, they only took out $13 every paycheck for, uh, dental and eye care. And then I think you just had to pay your deductible when you went to the doctor. And so it wasn't a whole lot per month to be taken out. But uh, if you had a family or you had to have your spouse covered by this plan, you know, you're paying anywhere between, you know, 150 to 300 dollars a month, I think, was the range. And people like how do you even pay that when you're making, let's right. say, on average, 15 dollars an hour? You know, right. you still have rent to pay. Rent is astronomical in Asheville and the surrounding areas. So it, it just doesn't account for everybody else's bills and specific needs. So, yeah, yeah that yeah. was definitely an issue yeah, as well. It's it's just wild to see, like, because, again, just the contradiction between where you have, like, these small businesses that'll present themselves as completely different from the major corporations. But these exact tactics, like uh, exploiting wage differentials, uh, like, and, and as well, like putting out essentially like a take it or leave it offer to try and get people to quit were the exact tactics used. I mean, amongst others at the Bessemer plant drive in Alabama to, to kill that, that union organizing effort, because mm -hmm. they would tell everybody at the plant, Oh yeah, no, maybe $15 an hour isn't that much, but your alternative, you know, at all these other places in the area is seven twenty five eight dollars $8 an hour. And so Amazon's able to exploit like their own wage suppression. And, and, and so it's, it's one thing I feel like, I feel like a lot of people have that understanding of how like giant corporations do that sort of thing. But again, like we we see time and time again, and evil foods being the kind of archetypal example. Any business will do that if they can hire the same, you know, union busting firms. Um, right. that, uh, let me just jump in here real quick. Yeah. That's honestly something that's so important about all of this. And before, uh, before the layoffs, um, one of the, the biggest points that I wanted to stress about everything that had happened up until that point was that um, the tactics that they used, they, the union busting tactics that they used against us are the same tactics that they used against Bessemer later. They're the same tactics that they've been using for years. I mean, this all comes from a playbook. Um, mm, the, uh, the, the, the vote no campaign, like where they plaster the warehouse with vote no posters, they did that at Bessemer, and they did that at No Evil Foods. Uh, the captive audience meetings, they did that at Bessemer, they did that at No Evil Foods. Um, I mean, the, the, the parallels are, you know, they're all over the place. And... Uh, if if there's one thing that I could that I would want to convey uh, to like anybody who ever might go through something like this, it's that they need to pay attention and, and focus on the um, these tactics. And 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 uh, there's a book, um, Confessions of a Union Buster. If you haven't read this book, you have to find this book. It's an This guy was a union buster for like 30 years. And uh, he lays out all of these tactics, but this book is probably about as old as, I don't know, just all of us in this room yeah, <laughs> on this right. call. I mean, this is an old book, but these, these strategies have been around and they still work today. And that just kind of speaks to how important it is to get out there and really shine a light on this, this union busting industry, because it's friggin' huge. These people get paid, uh, these lawyers and consultants get paid like, I don't know 
thousands of dollars to come in and strip workers away from wanting to have a or having a union and it's just awful right well speaking of those incredibly like pointed and poisoned uh corporate tactics uh i just wanted to ask like when you were on the floor or before the shutdown in general were there any uh like signs were there rumors or any like conditions on the work floor that gave you the indication that they were going to close the facility in the near future or do you think it was a purely cynical or negligent move to avoid uh having to contend with organized labor in general so um while him and i worked there like i said we both were pretty much gone by the summer of 2020 um, okay. and these layoffs just happened two weeks ago to all of these right. employees and, but just from what I've heard from these employees there had been um, a slow kind of consistent layoff uh, throughout the last few months like starting all the way back in January of this year so people were kind of seeing the writing on the wall about because you know you'd get these little clusters of firings and layoffs. I you know it's my understanding that a few months ago there were a handful of people that were laid off and told they were being laid off and actually got a severance. I don't know how much it was, but um, they essentially yes, people were seeing the writing on the wall throughout this entire year. But the issue here is is that from again what I've been told, these people were constantly reassured that nothing was wrong. Everything is fine. You know, no, we're not going out of business. No, nothing is happening. We're okay. And then they blindside everybody by laying them off with no notice. So, you know, while the suspicion was there for a lot of these people, they, they were still blindsided because they're being told this entire time that everything is fine. It's truly disgusting. And another thing, too, is that even if you pretend like this company is an absolute garbage and that they care about their employees and that this was really hard for them and blah, 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 blah. If you assume all of that is true, there is absolutely zero excuse for them to not give their employees a heads up. You don't up and move a facility in a couple of days. That's not something that happens in a week. That takes weeks at minimum and months on end of planning. Right. So yeah, it's, it's not like the it, factory fell into a sinkhole. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. It's so even if you can, even if you know you're one of those people that, and a lot of these people are still like extremely anti-union, not even on the left. Like I've been talking with conservatives the last two weeks. I really have, and sure. it's you know these people eat like even though they aren't completely on board with like, oh, a union might have helped and they're not particularly on the left, they're still like, why weren't we given any warning? Like at the, it's just like basic human decency, you know, Absolutely. and no evil also, I know I'm kind of going on a rant here now, but no evil also did this thing where um, they uh, made a, they worked through this program to hire people that were formerly incarcerated, which are obviously is a great thing like so but you there you go you have sure. a handful of people there with really long rap sheets and you know it's hard enough for these people to get jobs in the first place that pay any sort of livable wage or have any kind of sustainability attached to them and to not give these people any warning it just feels intentionally harmful to me like they know this they know how right. hard it is for these formerly incarcerated folks to find jobs. And now these people are left out in the cold with no health care, 
no real job prospects. And then they have to go explain, oh, I've been working diligently at this company for years. And, you know, please ignore my eight, like years, like long rap sheet. It's just absolutely disgusting. It's, and yeah. it's not fair to these people. Yeah. And, and additionally, I mean, part of uh, the reasoning is actually of hiring people like that is is often more cynical, because especially if they're facing a union busting or a union campaign, uh, one of the people who people who are precarious like this is, is also used in um, migrant labor and how visas are tied to jobs and how the people who are in those jobs with those sorts of visas are very likely to not be pro-union because they are the ones who are in that precarity of uh, if they get fired because of being pro-union they lose a lot more than everyone right. else and, if there's and, retaliation and, they get hit with it first yeah. yeah uh so i i i would assume that that you know that it's not a uh it's not a good faith you know we're doing this because we care about you know the futures of incarcerated people they do it because they're consider they're concerned that their workforce is unionizing yeah and i mean they'll take it's the classic uh, weaponization, you know, of of any division that they can find, like any anything to drive a wedge between uh, any different segments uh, of the workforce. Um, yeah, but I think just and, like uh, oh, oh no, sorry, I was just gonna say, and you know, like a lot of these people, they they really they 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 felt like. They uh, like the owners of this company had their best intentions, had the, had their best interests at heart. Like they really that's that's really the, the part about all of this that kind of kills me the most is that these people stood by them. I mean, you know, it does it, even if they voted against the they voted against the union and then they stood by them through the pandemic and then they still got screwed over. And I think that's the worst part about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, speaking of the the owners directly, uh, in one of their statements, they cried about possibly losing, quote unquote, the family business if they didn't continue to ramp up exploitation on their existing workers. What was the, quote unquote, uh, family business dynamic like at the uh, at the location? Um, well, the uh, at, uh, when I was there and that's really the only experience i mean obviously the only experience i could speak to but when i was there i felt like the owners made themselves fairly present i did see them um and they passed by and you know this was before the union drive but i could you know pass them by in the hallway and they they'd look at me they'd smile at me they'd ask me how i'm doing and that kind of thing but after the union drive i mean that all changed um what a surprise but, <laughs> yeah 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 and um I mean, as far as the the family dynamic beyond that goes, I don't, I don't know. What, what do you think here? You take it. I just um, another thing that they would do throughout the union drive and even afterwards, um, they would bring their kids in. You know, the two owners, Mike Woliansky and Sadra Shadell, had two young children under the age of five, and they would bring these kids in and parade them around the office. Like, and you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with that on its face. But it just plays into their whole concept of, oh, we're just this cute little family owned business. And, you know, right. look at us. We bring our kids here. Meanwhile, everybody else has to find childcare for their kids because there's no way to do that. And then on top of that, um, you know, they would provide, you know, what they called family meals. They, they would give us a free meal once a week. And again, like <laughs> bare minimum. Yeah. But just little things like that. Um, and yeah, so they, they so would. 
do. A, a, fa- what, a family of four can survive on one meal a week. Yeah, yeah. I, I love feeding my children the scraps from the company pizza party every Friday and Saturday. The rest of the week, we just don't eat. They, they did bring their kids into uh, the facility, what was it, the night before the vote? Yeah, the night before the union election. They really? Their- oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. You know, just, you know, how they, they were helping stack pallets and, you They're know. They're using child labor. Kids, you know, if you care about our family, then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, and it's like, well, you know, if you care about our family, then you're not, you know, look, look at my kid. You really going to vote for the union? <laughs> Damn. Right. That's incredibly cynical. You're making it so that I have to do child labor on my own children. <laughs> we basically just have a, a wrap up question left. So before we ask you if there's anything our listeners can do, if they want to help out the workers and their families who were affected by this, uh, are there just any other miscellaneous uh, comments or things that we didn't address that you might want to add uh, on the topic before we wrap up just that um i mean it, it really just goes back to what i said before that you know no matter how you feel about unionization and about where john and i are coming from from a more left perspective on everything you know there's no excuse for not giving these people warning these people were blindsided these lo- like even if the company wants to hate me or john or whatever okay fair game you know i can take it i'm not everybody's cup of tea <laughs> But, you know, these were people that were loyal and genuinely cared about the company's mission, cared about the owners and how their work actually affected the owners of the business, which is just crazy in my mind. But, you know, these people genuinely cared and they were blindsided and screwed over. And it's just extremely painful that um, that these people can still look themselves in the mirror after what they did and not even provide the paid time off. Meanwhile, no severance. Um, did you have any other thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm coming up with them as we keep talking. But one of the things that I, I did want to mention, too, is that um, a lot of the people who were just laid off are very hesitant to come on and go public about it because uh, several of them have told me that they uh, the company had updated their NDAs. And made them sign all. Uh, basically, they made them sign NDAs. So now they're worried about signing NDA or about these NDAs that they signed. Um, and on top of that, like Megan said, some of these are formerly incarcerated people. Um, and then on top of that, too, you've got people who are still living in the Asheville area and they're looking for jobs. So they don't want to put right. their names out there. And you know, it, it just creates this this unfortunate cluster of. You know, they just laid all these people off, but these people are now hesitant to speak out about it for various reasons. And, you know, they've reached out to me because I have the platforms and because I've been talking about this now for probably about a year and a half. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I I just I I feel like that needed to be said just because, um, you know, they can't be here. So I'm kind of. In a way, I I feel like I'm sort of speaking on their behalf because they can't. Right. So Evil Foods has created a a culture of fear. Uh, Nobody's surprised about that. Is there actually uh, is there something that we can do to help that or that the listeners here can do to help? And how is it that we can find, uh, you know, ways to to assist these workers who have just been thrown out into the cold or I guess extreme heat? (laughs) Yeah, basically. So, um, yes, there is, though. Um, So in response to what this company has done to their loyal employees, 
employees, um, we have put together a fundraiser. Um, now, not every single employee that was fired is requesting funding, but some of these people have, you know, are raising children. Some of them just had children and had just gotten back from maternity leave. You know, some of these people are going to have trouble finding a job like we discussed before. Um, so we put together this fundraiser and I'll send you a link to it. So, I mean, I don't know how effective it would be for me to read off like the entire URL right here, mm -hmm. but um, I can definitely we'll send you a the, link to put in. Sorry. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll put the link in the, the episode description so that our, our, our listeners can, mm -hmm. can access it. Okay, cool. But yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. And there, yeah. So this fundraiser, if you have anything extra to spare, I know it would mean the world to all of the people who were fired. It would mean the world to me. It would mean the world to John. If you have anything to spare, just go ahead and donate a dollar, $10, whatever you have, all of it will, every single penny will be split evenly amongst the employees requesting funding. And it's, it's going to help them pay bills. It's going to help them you know, uh, you know, get groceries, you know, whatever they might need. We're just trying to do our part to help with the platforms that we have. And we very much appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to us and helping us get the word out there about this. We really, really Absolutely. appreciate it. And I know they do too. We're, ha yeah. we're happy to do it. And, and listeners, if, if, uh, whether you're a Patreon subscriber or whether you're not already, if you, uh, donate to this fundraiser and you send me the receipt for every $5 that you donate, I will send you a month of bonus episodes from both of my shows completely free of charge. Yeah. So amazing. Thank you so much, guys. Absolutely. It's really our pleasure. Like, thank you so much for reaching out to me on Twitter. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, no, uh, that, uh, well, I heard that episode that you, uh, you did where you briefly mentioned it. Well, you know, you talked about it for five, 10 minutes and I think that was the last one you did or one of the, the more recent ones. And it was, mm -hmm. uh, Megan and I were listening to it and we were both cracking up and we were like, Hey, we should get in touch with these people. Cause, uh, yeah, <laughs> y'all are funny. So yeah. Cool. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, well th thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And yeah, again, like, Listeners, if anybody, any way anybody can help out with the, we'll provide the link to the fundraiser in the episode description. Uh, I mean, I'm going to donate to it and, and I strongly mm -hmm. encourage anybody who, who has, uh, anything to, that they can, you know, spare out there. Cause the only way we're going to get through any of this is through solidarity. And, and, and this is a big part of that. So, um, yeah, just thank you again for, for coming on to, to talk to us about this. We, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, we really appreciate it. Y'all are great. Absolutely. Um, so, um, as, my, as Mike um, talked about this, you're, and you didn't have anything else to say here. Okay. Um, I want to walk you through the next steps. Um, you know, we are, as Mike said, um, we're out of money and we have to shut down uh, manufacturing today. And so I'm going to walk you through the next steps of the layoff and uh, the process. Um, it's a short process, but also kind of like taking the next steps forward. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take just a minute and get these letters out to everyone um, just so that you have these in front of you as I go through it so you can reference it. I know.